This evening, if you would turn in your Bible to the Gospel according to Luke chapter 12, we'll be reading from verses 22 uh, through 34. In your pew Bible, you can find this on page 1199. After we read from the inspired Word of God, we'll also be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism. This evening, we come to Lord's Day 9, and in your Forms and Prayers book, you can find that on page 210. Uh, So we read first, of course, from the inspired Word of God, which we receive as the authoritative standard for our doctrine and our life. Then we'll also be reading from the Heidelberg Catechism, which we believe faithfully summarizes uh, the teaching of the Word of God, Uh, and we come this evening to Lord's Day 9. Uh, First then, from Luke 12, beginning at verse 22, then he, that is Jesus Christ, said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys." For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Thus far this evening, our reading from the Word of God. We then turn to Lord's Day 9, which has one question, question 26, and it asks, What do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth? And the answer that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth, and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by his eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father, for the sake of Christ his Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt he will provide whatever I need for body and soul, and will turn to my good whatever adversity he sends upon me in this vale of tears. He is able to do this because he is Almighty God, He desires to do this because he is a faithful father. A congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I've told you uh, a couple of times that uh, both sides of our family, that is my uh, father and my grandfather, also my wife's uh, father and grandfather, uh, are and have been involved in the construction industry in West Michigan. And one of the things that I know I did uh, when I was a a young boy, as we made our way uh, throughout the community, as we'd be riding along, uh, perhaps with some friends, I would point out different buildings that my my father had built. 
Uh, he began his uh, work as a builder, uh, building residential homes. Then he transitioned to building uh, pole barns. Uh, and this was especially when uh, the turkey industry uh, took a boom uh, in the uh, mid-80s, late-80s in West Michigan. Uh, a large processing plant known as Billmar Foods uh, was constructed. And suddenly it seemed to be that turkey barns were the order of the day. And so my father found himself building uh, many uh, quite sizable turkey barns. Uh, and I always loved when I was a young boy to point out uh, to anyone who would listen, my dad built that. Uh, and also my father-in-law, uh, he can drive throughout the community in which we resided, and he can point out many, many a square foot of flat work concrete uh, that he himself poured. And uh, perhaps you have a construction worker in your family. You know that construction workers love to point out to their spouses, to their children, to anyone who will listen, I did that, I poured that, I built that, or my dad built that, my dad constructed that. And especially in a young boy, there is a sense of pride in saying that. This is the barn that my dad built. Uh, this is the building that my dad built. And that pride is a two-part pride. The pride is there because the building shows something of the work of your father. It's something that he put together. But you don't just drive by any old barn and take pride in that barn. You don't just drive by any piece of concrete and take pride in that concrete. You take, as a young boy, you take pride in the barns that your dad built because your dad built them. And I would submit to you on a much more elevated level. That's something of the spirit that the Christian should have when it comes to all aspects of this created world. At the conclusion of tonight's sermon, now we hope to sing, this is my father's world. And that should be something of the spirit of the Christian. This is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. This is the world that my father has built whether it be the glorious sunrises or the concluding sunsets, whether it be uh, the heavenly realms, whether it be the earthly objects, wherever our eye scans the horizon of created order, we see testimony to the work of the Creator, the one true God of heaven and of earth. But the remarkable fact is that that one true God of the heaven and of the earth is for the sake of Jesus Christ our Father. With Lord's Day 9, we begin following our instructors, moving through the material that makes up our basic profession of faith, what it is that we believe, the very fundamentals of Christianity. And you will remember also that the Apostles' Creed has a certain Trinitarian framework. It deals first with God the Father, and then God the Son, and then God the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned in our last uh, consideration of Lord's Day 8, each person of the Trinity has a particular work which is ascribed to that person. And the particular work that is ascribed to the first person of the Trinity, the Father, is the work of creation and also then the sustaining of creation. Uh, but this is all in connection 
with the second section of the Heidelberg Catechism. This is not just some disconnected uh, oratorical diatribe on the origins of all things, but rather we are dealing here with the manner of our deliverance from our sin and our misery. And so we hope to cover this material underneath this theme, deliverance by an almighty Father. Noticing, first of all, the work of the Father, and then secondly, the relation to the Father, and then thirdly, the trust in the Father. So deliverance by an almighty Father, the work, and then the relation, and then the trust in the Father. Uh, So the work of the Father, and we call the Father the Father, of course, because that is a title that is given by himself, to himself, in the Word of God. But when we use Father, we first of all have in mind that relationship of the first person of the Trinity to the second person of the Trinity. And so the Father eternally begets the Son. But also by extension then, we call our Father in heaven our Father because the Son has instructed us to call him our Father. You will remember the model prayer when the disciples asked the question, Lord, teach us how to pray. Uh, Jesus Christ taught them how to pray, and he said, when you pray, pray this way, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven. Well, what exactly has our Father done in his work? In connection with this first point, we want to make a description of the work and then focus on the display within the work. The description of the particular work of the Father is that of the creation of all things. Now, when we say all things, that is comprehensive in its scope. So, before time, and I recognize that this stretches our mind's capabilities, before time, before anything existed that was created, God existed eternally. Now, boys and girls, to try to help you begin to get your mind around this, think of it this way, there was never a time when God was not. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have always existed. But there was a time when God was the only thing that existed. When there was nothing else other than God. And when only God existed, God had no need of anything outside of himself. He had everything he needed within himself. And yet he chose. He chose to create. And so when we speak about creation, we refer to this distinction between God as creator, that alone which is eternal, and everything else which had a beginning. God had no beginning. Everything else had a beginning. And that beginning came out of nothing. And so the precise theological terminology is we believe, based on the authority of the Word of God, in the creation of all things outside of God, out of nothing, or ex nihilo. God did not use some eternal, pre-existent material and just form and fashion it. But rather there was a moment in which God said, let there be, and then there was. There were objects, there were material elements outside of his own existence, whereas just prior to that, there was nothing in existence outside of himself. And God created everything that exists 
out of nothing by the mere powerful word of his voice. And this gets to the distinction also that you and I, we never really create anything. We construct things, but we never create anything. Our construction is just simply the rearranging of pre-existent material. And so when I think back, and I had the opportunity at times in the summer to help my father build these barns, it's not as if he created them out of nothing, but rather the lumber trucks would begin to arrive with the great piles of of poles and of two-by-fours and of two-by-twelves, and then the trusses would eventually come, and then all of the steel would come, and all of these elements had to be formed and fashioned together. Nail after nail, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, and slowly, gradually, sometimes it would appear even at a painstaking pace, this building would begin to come into existence. But that's not how God created the world. God simply said, let there be light, and there was light. And He said, let there be the luminaries in the heavens, and there were then the luminaries in the heavens, the moon and the stars and the sun. And while He could have given His omnipotence, given His unlimited power, where He could have called all things into existence in one mere moment, He was pleased to take the process of six ordinary, literal, 24-hour days, as is so clearly described in Genesis 1 and 2. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, day 6. And then on the seventh day, God rested from all of His creative work. And now we well recognize that that belief is challenged by many in our day, denied by many in our day, but we take our stand upon the simple explanation and interpretation of Scripture. You say, well, how can you be so sure it was six literal ordinary days? Uh, Well, the word used in Hebrew, yom, the ordinary meaning of that word is an ordinary day. Supported by the repeated refrain, evening and morning were the first, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth day. Also in the repetition you find in Exodus 20 with the giving of the Ten Commandments, the commandment that we are to remember the Sabbath day to keep a holy. Why? The ground there, as it's found in Exodus 20, goes all the way back to creation. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the seventh day He rested. Is there perhaps a connection between the increasing alarming disregard for a Sabbath day and the increasing acceptance of evolutionary theories of the origin of all things. If all things came into existence in some unspecified, undefined period of time, well then of course you can take the fourth commandment and you can shelve it. But if you believe that in the giving of a weekly cycle we are imitating God, and if we understand God created all things out of nothing by the mere powerful proclamation of His authoritative voice, then when He says, rest, even as I have rested, then we as obedient children who love our Heavenly Father, who desire to imitate as much as is possible the actions of our Heavenly Father, then we also will be very eager to rest from our labor. Because when you watch a young child especially a young boy with his dad. Young boys love to do nothing more than to imitate their father. And so our father created and then rested. And so we go about our vocations, not creating in the sense that he did, but going about our labor, and then we also rest. And all things came into existence 
Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. And now this goes dramatically against macroevolution, secularism. And these are the, the winds that blow throughout so many uh, a place of learning, institutions committed to the so-called pretended giving of wisdom and knowledge. And yet, give me the Word of God any day. Over any book and over any theory and over any explanation that mere man can come up with for the origin of all things, because who was there in the beginning? Only God. And so as for me, and I hope for you also, I'll take my stand on the Word of God. Let our society take its stand on whatever they want to stand on. But let us as a congregation also settle it within our hearts. We will stand upon the testimony of the Word of God. And we will recognize to a certain extent that there is a display in this work. The display, and Romans talks about this as does Psalm 104, that the very construction of creation testifies of the divine power and majesty. He shines in all that's fair. Or as the psalmist says in Psalm 104, verse 24, O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. And, and the heavens and the earth and the seas and all that inhabit all of those realms all testify of what one author calls the transcendent sovereignty of our Heavenly Father. Transcendent means the high and lifted up, the elevated status of our God, the creator-creature distinction. And this is what stirs our soul with such passion, you might even say with fire, when someone denies that our God is the cause of all things that exist. Well, then we become a little bit like little children. You know, when I would say, my dad built that, if, if, if a, another kid on the school would say, your dad didn't build that. Well, you can imagine the reaction of the son who loves the father. He did too. Don't say that my dad didn't build that. I know my dad built that. And that in part is why the faithful church responds perhaps sometimes with, with spirit, when someone denies that everything that is, is because of the act of God, and when someone says, no, I think everything out there is just a result of time plus chance. Well, of course we stand up and we say, no, that's the work of my Father. That's not the work of just some unguided process of chance. My Father Put the sun in the sky and the moon to give light at night. My Father called the stars into existence. My Father made the fields and the seas to teem with living things. And my Father gave me my body and my soul. My Father gave me life. Well, something then of the work of my Father, but... That's not even the main point of our Lord's Day 9. The main point is what we have in our second point, the relation to the Father. And if you just glance back at Lord's Day 9, you notice that our translators, they've structured uh, this with subordinate clauses. 
uh, indented. So there is the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and there is the description who have nothing created. But notice the next main phrase, is my God and Father. Here's the thing that really overwhelms the soul of the Christian. This almighty, transcendent, sovereign God is my Father. Uh, In that, there is a personal relationship of fellowship. Now, our catechism uses personal language throughout what is your only comfort in life and in death. What do you mean by this? What do you believe by this? Now, it does that, of course, in what we call the corporate context. It is not overly individualistic, but it does get very personal. Because there's no benefit for me intellectually to have a knowledge of the origin of creation if I don't have a relationship with the God who created. What value is it if I can just score 50 out of 50 on a quiz concerning biblical theology and the origin of all things, but I don't have a personal relationship with the Father. And so the emphasis in the article of Lord's Day 9 is that which is captured also by our Lord Jesus Christ uh, in the text that we read uh, and through various other texts. And it's this personal relationship. You can think also of uh, John 20, uh, verse 17, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Jesus is interacting to Mary. And in John 20, verse 17, Jesus said to Mary, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father. And notice this phrase, and your Father. So the Father of the Son, Jesus Christ, is now also the Father of the Christian. And Jesus wants the disciples to get this. He's saying to Mary, don't just cling to me, but go and tell my, my other followers, my, my other disciples, my brethren, say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. And this is the wonderful reality of a personal relationship of fellowship, of what we call covenantal fellowship. And, and a covenant is a pact or an agreement between two or sometimes more parties, but particularly in this context between two parties, an agreement that establishes a relationship. It's not just a business contract. I would suppose that there are many a person who has entered into a business relationship with no real affections towards the other party in the business relationship. It's just business is the same. I don't have any real investment other than hopefully to make a profit, and that's why I'm in business with this person. That is not the idea of a covenant. But a covenant is this binding together for the experience of fellowship, of family life. And so Jesus says, I go to ascend to my Father who was and is the Father of the Son from all of eternity, but now through the work of adoption has become your Father. And this is what Jesus wants Mary uh, to hone in on, as well as the disciples. We think of the wonderful truth of Galatians 4, verse 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. 
Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But notice that emphasis on through Christ. Because the whole idea that God is the Father of all human beings is an unbiblical idea. It's simply not true. The basis of sonship is not mere existence. Just the fact that we exist as a human being does not mean that God is our Father. Not in this covenantal relationship. It's only on the basis, it's only through Jesus Christ that there is this relationship. Because of Jesus Christ, God is my Father. Because of the work that He has accomplished and because of my faith in Him, which is a gift of His own grace, but because I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in sincere faith, I am reconciled to God and He is my Father. And I know sometimes that some individuals have negative and maybe even very painful experiences in relationship to their father. But this is the most beautiful relationship. Because when you think of a father, and I, I know it's become quite common in our culture to you know, look at the parents and blame them for everything that's wrong uh, in, in one's life, but when you think of the responsibilities of a father... One of the first responsibilities that I think of is to provide and to protect. That's the role of a father. To provide and to protect. And that is what Jesus Christ is emphasizing in the section we read from Luke. Do not be anxious. Your father knows what you need. Implied also is that he will provide what you need. And many of us, myself included, confession is good for the soul, wrestle with times of anxieties. We find ourselves worrying about this, worrying about that. And Jesus, he knows us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he comes and he says, what has your worrying ever accomplished? Think of some of the things that you have worried about. The fact that you worried about them, did that solve anything? Now this is not an encouragement to just some reckless abandonment in regards to planning and preparation, but the anxious fretting. It's absolutely futile and pointless. You can worry about tomorrow all day long, but that will not change anything about tomorrow. But never fear, Jesus says, in essence, your father, your father knows. He knows what you need, and he provides that which you need. And my heart breaks sometimes when you hear reports of young people filled with anxieties and fears and turmoils of their situation in life, their position in life, where they fit in, where they don't fit in. And if that speaks to anyone who hears these words tonight, as a Christian, the most important relationship in your life is solid and secure. God Almighty is your Father. 
Now, we certainly don't want to encourage some haughty arrogance. Uh, But, you know, there were those kids whose fathers were powerful, influential persons in the community. And and the kids, they'd walk in somewhere and say, you know who my dad is? And now there's probably a spirit of haughty arrogance, and we certainly, again, don't want to encourage that. But what we want to encourage is this humble confidence. The Christian can walk through Monday, Wednesday, and Friday all the years of our life saying, my Father, Almighty God, and He watches over me, and He cares for me, and by the way, everything you see, He created, and it all testifies of His power and of His glory, and this is something of the trust in the Father. Our third point, faith is a solid and a comforting reliance upon this relationship with my Heavenly Father and His provision and protection. A trust for provision and a trust for protection. Provide. He will provide. When you think of the Father providing for the family, uh, you think what is necessary for there to be provision Well, the father has to have a certain capability, a certain ability to go out uh, and bring home the the bacon, so to speak, or to put uh, bread on the table, a a certain power, a certain ability. But in addition to that, the father needs a certain knowledge of what the family needs. And along with that, there has to be the relationship and the the love of the Father that motivates him to use his knowledge and the ability that he has to go out and to earn a living, so to speak. And when you think in regards to our Heavenly Father, he has all three of these in infinite quantities. The love of the Father is infinite. No one loves us more than the Father. So, of course, He will provide that which we need. And He knows our needs even better than we ourselves know what we need. Now, that doesn't minimize the duty of prayer, which we'll look at in the third section of the Catechism. But our Father knows what we need even better than we ourselves know what we need. Now, men, if I can illustrate this, have you ever had it? I've had this numerous times, innumerable times. You're looking for something, maybe in the pantry, maybe in the fridge, and your wife's not there in the kitchen, maybe she's in a different room, and, and you're looking, and you have the refrigerator door open or the pantry door open, and you go, I'm looking for whatever it is, the ketchup. I don't see it. It's not in here. And she calls from the other room, well, it's right behind wherever, the milk, and you go, oh, sure enough. That's something of the knowledge that our Father has of our needs. We stand before this week, and we don't know what we will need Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, but our Father already knows, and He has the power to provide. He has infinite power. Not only will he provide, you can think of Matthew 6, verse 32, your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He will also protect. There's a phrase in our translation here describing this life as a veil of tears. 
That's not necessarily overly pessimistic. You might say it's realistic. My wife's grandfather had a saying, trouble from the womb to the tomb. Sometimes I thought, well, that's just Grandpa Van Dyke being overly negative. But it seems the more you live, the more you realize this is a vale of tears. And some of the families of our congregation have experienced that in a very acute way in this week. A vale of tears. But even in the context of the valley of tears, there is comfort knowing that it is the hand of our Heavenly Father who leads and guides us through that veil. Now, I have to admit, I don't have all the answers to why our Father sins some of the afflictions He sins. And I don't know that it's really that helpful when a minister or a theologian uh, speculates in some type of detached way and speaks high and lofty language that's not really practical and says, well, you know, of course, God is glorifying himself through these experiences. I don't know that that's helpful to a family that's burying a 19-year-old daughter. I think it's more helpful to say our hearts grieve with you. But our Heavenly Father knows what you need and will provide that which you need. And even the afflictions that come into your life, he will turn them to your eternal advantage. Well, how do we know this? Because he's more than just some cold cosmic deity far off in the heavens, unconcerned and uninvolved in practical lives of his children. He's not just a a father who gives us life and then has nothing more to do with us. But he's a father who loves us. And a father who is willing to care for us and able to care for us, both now and forevermore. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can call you our Father. And we simply ask that you would help us to understand something of the implications of that relationship. And may we with humble confidence boast in who you are and in who you are to us. And may this be part of our testimony in the world in which we are called to live. When so many uh, seem to fret and be anxious about everything, may we be different. And may people notice that there is something different about us. May we display a confidence even in the midst of the uncertainties from our perspective of life. And when people then come and ask, how is it that you can be calm in the midst of chaos? May our answer immediately be our Father who is in heaven. We ask this for your name's sake, through Jesus Christ. Amen.